Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, how are you doing today? Little, kind of little, uh, a little cloudy out there. I need to feel like I need to wake you up a little bit. Uh, but it's great to see you. Uh, my name's Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church at Rocky Peak. And so if this is your very first time. We're really glad you're here. Uh, we're in the midst of a series. You'll, well, you just started last week, so you'll catch on to that. But inside your program is a message note sheet. You'll definitely want to pull that out. It'll help you uh, during this time of teaching to follow, uh, follow along. And so I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to get uh, going from there. Now, it seems kind of dark up here. Are, are the lights right? There we go. Hey! All right, hey, good job. All right, get the lights on, and God said, let there be light, and there we go. We are ready to go. Now, see, now I feel like you, you're more awake than I realized. I just couldn't see you before. It's because we were all asleep is what was going on. Yeah, I thought it was a dream. It was like a bad dream, but now I'm awake, and it's looking good. So let's, uh, let's pray. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing here uh, in our church, in our hearts, in our lives, uh, kind of raising us up and teaching us what it looks like to live with the resurrection power of Jesus being unleashed in our lives. And so as we talk today about this power to change, we pray to come and be our teacher, uh, be with me, strengthen my voice, give us ears to hear what you would say to your church. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are continuing this brand new series we just started last week called The Power to Change. And so if you were here last week, kinda, you probably remember that. If you're brand new, I just want to kind of quickly bring you up to speed. Uh, th- this whole series is based on a letter from a man we call the Apostle Paul to, uh, to a church that was in southern Greece. Uh, today it would be called southern Greece. It was in an international city, a seaport city, the town uh, city of Corinth. And so he had been there about five years before, starts a church, and now, now that he's kind of writing back because there's some issues that they're going through. And, and if you've been here like the last couple of weeks, what we've been talking about is that, uh, that, that uh, what Paul has been teaching us is that, that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we have entered into a whole new era of human history, a whole new level of relationship with God, what he, what he calls this new covenant or this new agreement, much like a, like a marriage is a covenant, a formal relationship you enter into, certain commitments you make, certain responsibilities, certain promises, certain benefits that come with that, and, and so that God has entered into a new covenant with us through the death and resurrection of Christ, so that when you become a follower of Jesus, you enter into covenant with him, into formal relationship. There's certain gifts and certain things that, that happen as a result of that. And so last week, just to understand this, uh, we needed to go back and understand this concept of covenant. And we saw that, that throughout human history, God entered into different covenants with different people. But the most important one in the Old Testament was God's covenant he entered into with the nation of Israel. So you remember that, that at Mount Sinai, uh, God entered into covenant. So what I want to do is we need to do a quick review of where we, we covered last week because Paul's going to build on it today. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the two covenants, the triangle of transformation. So let's just take a couple of minutes, go back to a quick review, and then we'll jump in today's uh, text in 2 Corinthians 3. And so, so here's what happened. If you were here last week, you remember this, that, that, uh, that when, when God brought the nation of Israel out of a bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, three months later they arrive at Mount Sinai, and God enters into covenant with them. And so it was, it was just a big deal that God comes with this amazing display of power and glory. Now, if you've never read this account, you may want to read it later. We're not going to take time now, but Exodus 19, Exodus 20, Exodus 24, Exodus 33 and 34, all the other references are on your note sheet. You'll study some of those in your life group homework this week. But anyway, so, so God comes with this amazing display of power. He tells the people, stay away from the mountain. Anyone who touches the mountain is going to be put to death. It's, this is going to be a, a big time thing. And so, so God comes, and, and how many of you, you were, part, were here when uh, 1994, when the, the big earthquake in, in Northridge, like, yeah, a lot of you, uh, fortunately I wasn't, uh, but uh, I've heard stories from, from many of you who were, and just how, how violent that, that tremor was, and things being thrown across the room, and how terrifying it was. Well, imagine this, when, when God comes that day to meet with the people, it, it was just, just, he unleashes this amazing earthquake, and so the earth is just shaking, it's like off to Richter scale, the sky turns dark, there, there's, it's like God is descending on the top of Mount Sinai. It's the most amazing and awesome display of power, God revealing himself in human history that happens that day, great glory. So there's, there's, uh, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's sounds of trumpets, uh, the whole mountaintop looks like it's on fire, it's smoke, chimney, burning. Uh, and out of this darkness, out of the cloud, God speaks, and he speaks the, the terms of their covenant. 
Remember we talked about this, that every covenant's got terms, like when you enter into marriage, you know, it's for, for better or worse, for richer or poor, it's till death do we part. There's that I won't sleep around, that it's only for you, and there's a faithfulness thing, there's a relationship. So every covenant has terms of the covenant. And so in the covenant God entered into, there were certain what you might call rules of relationship. We call them the Ten Commandments. And so God speaks the Ten Commandments from the cloud. They actually hear the voice of God speaking. It's a very powerful event. But it also scares them to death. Now, now when Jesus comes uh, later on, about 1,500 years later, when Jesus comes, he, uh, he says, you know what, all the rules of relationship that God gave the nation of Israel to govern this relationship, that they really were just all really an explanation or an illustration of his top two priorities for our life, that we would love God uh, passionately and we would love one another as uh, ourselves. And so he says, I want to enter into relationship, hear the terms of relationship. And, and so when God came that day and spoke these words, uh, the people are freaked out. I mean, imagine if you were here in 1994, you remember how scared you were just for an earthquake. Imagine if all this other stuff was going on. And they're freaked out. And so they're like, oh, we're all in. This God is amazing. But we're, we're kind of, he's, he's scared us. So Moses, could you go up, find out the details, uh, kind of bring them back to us? And so Moses does, and when he eventually comes back, uh, his face is like lit up, all right? Now, I don't understand chemically what happens here or whatever, but his face is lit up. I mean, it's just like he has absorbed this glory of God, and so the people are scared to death of him now. It's like, whoa, what happened to you? You know, like thermonuclear. And so, uh, so they're backing up, and he's like, no, no, no. And so he ends up putting a veil over his face. And so, so they won't be afraid. And so from that point on, when, whenever Moses goes to meet with the Lord in what they call the tent of meeting, because he'd meet with the Lord, that's the tent of meeting. So whenever he'd go to meet with, with, with God there, that he would take the veil off and he, he would get recharged, okay? His face would get recharged again, and then he would come out and he'd put the veil back over so they, they would protect them, but it was all, they also couldn't see the glory that's kind of being hidden from them. And so in between times, the glory would fade like a battery that's wearing down, but he would go back in and he'd get recharged again. Now, this becomes an important part of the story that we'll get to later on today. Because what Paul's going to say is is that uh, that, that the old covenant that God entered into Israel, it was amazing. It was full of glory. There's no question. But it was a temporary arrangement. It was, it was a short-term relationship. Like God knew that it would never really work, and so that's symbolic that the glory fading from the face of Moses is symbolic that it was a temporary fading type of arrangement. And so well, if, you, if you remember the story last week, so then what happens, of course, is, is that uh, they enter into covenant with God. They, they want to have relationship to be his people, for him to be their God. Uh, they, they agree to terms, but they quickly violate the terms of the covenant. Remember I used the analogy last week, they were like a, a young wife who just gets married and the next week she goes out and starts sleeping around with her old boyfriends. They, they, they really basically commit serial adultery against their God. They oppress one another. Their whole history is like this. And so what we learned last week was this was not a unique issue, issue for Israel. This is a problem of the human race. That it wasn't because they were some kind of uniquely bad nation. It's that they're all part of the fallen human race. We're all like this. We all have this uh, a natural tendency to rebel against our creator. We all have this natural tendency to, uh, to, to be drawn to the dark side. And, and so, so they're just kind of living out like a case study uh, of what happens when God reveals himself in power and invites us into relationship. We're, we're incapable of keeping the terms uh, as a race. And so what we learned last week is this very covenant that was to point out the path to life, uh, love God, love people, right? What's wrong with that? That, that it, in the end, it ends up leading to death and judgment because we keep violating the terms of the covenant. And so last week we saw then that, that about seven or 800 years after uh, Mount Sinai, that God begins to speak through his prophets and say, you know what, there's, there's a new day coming. And this new era is coming when I'm going to initiate a new covenant with my people. And it's not going to be like the old covenant that was written on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. It's going to be this new covenant that's written on human hearts. And I'm going to supernaturally uh, come into your life and change you from the inside out so you have the capacity to love me and the capacity to, to love others. 
And so we talked about this. We talked about Jeremiah 31 in detail last week. And if you remember that, Jeremiah 31 said that when this new covenant was started, this new era of the human race, that when that got kicked off, that it would be kicked off with the coming of Messiah. Uh, throughout, throughout the Old Testament, I always said that. The moon Messiah came, he'd kick off this new covenant, and there was three or four gifts that we received as part of this new covenant, this new relationship with God. Like when, da- when David entered into covenant with Jonathan, Jonathan gave him gifts, right? When you, when you have a covenant of marriage, you exchange rings, it's a gift. Well, there's certain kind of gifts of the covenant that we, and when we come into relationship with, with Jesus, uh, with, with God through Jesus, there's certain gifts. And so we talked about these gifts. We talked about just real quickly, forgiveness. Remember that? That when we enter into covenant with God, one of the gifts that we receive is through, through the death and, and resurrection of Jesus is the forgiveness of all crimes against the king. It's the gift of total amnesty, like a whiteboard that's been erased, like crimes that have been expunged from the record. We're, we're free for that. Secondly, Jeremiah said that there would be a new knowledge of God. He said that when this new covenant came, no man would have to say to his neighbor, know the Lord, because they would all know him. And not just in an intellectual or or kind of theological way, more than that, it would be a deep, personal, firsthand experience. And then third, there was a power to change. He said this law would no longer be written on tablets of stone. It would be written on the human heart. It would be changed from the inside out. And of course, the key to the whole thing was the coming of the Holy Spirit. That the promise was that in we enter this new age of the human race, that, that God would pour out his spirit, and his spirit would be the one who would communicate these realities, the reality of forgiveness, the reality of relationship, and the reality of power. Okay, so, that, so, so the prophecies come. So when Jesus comes, remember the last night he's with his men uh, before he's arrested, they had the Passover meal, which is a symbolic meal about his death for us. Uh, he says, he says, this after dinner, he passes out the cup and he says, this cup represents the blood, the, new, the blood of the new covenant, right? The, the terminology Jeremiah used. And he said, this can be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so, in other words, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we enter into this new covenant relationship with God through, through not based on our performance, but based on his, we receive these gifts, this new relationship, okay? So, so that's where we were last week. And, and so Paul is going to build on that whole story of last week. He's gonna build on that today. What he's gonna say, he says, let's compare the old covenant which led to death, right, because, because it led to our failure. Let's compare that with the new covenant that leads to our life, and he's specifically going to focus in at the end on this power of change, this power of transformation. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. As we are followers of Jesus, we step into covenant. How do we experience transformation in our life? How do we become the people we are created to be? How do we experience this new covenant reality? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Two Covenants, Compare and Contrast. And uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll pick it up at verse uh, 7, where we left off last week. And so Paul says, if the ministry that brought death, and now he's talking about the old covenant, the, the, you'll see in a minute, because it's old covenant established at Sinai, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, the Ten Commandments, if that came with glory, and it did come with glory, didn't it? Amazing glory. Uh, uh, you know, the mountain on fire, Moses' face shining and so on. He says, so that the Israelites could not even look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory, fading though it was, will, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Okay, so what he's saying is that if the first covenant was full of glory, uh, this new covenant's kind of upgrade like 2.0, Right? <laughs> If, he says, if, if the original upgrade, uh, the original covenant 1.0, which came with glory, this new covenant 2.0, it's going to have even more glory, uh, unless it's like Microsoft. But anyway, uh, in verse uh, in verse nine, it says, uh, "If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more uh, more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness?" So the first covenant it brought condemnation, didn't it? Because we 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 don't have the capacity in ourselves to keep it, and so we come under judgment. So he says that first covenant that it brought uh, condemnation, and so if that's true, then then how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? It brings us into this right relationship with God. And it says, uh, verse 10, for what was glorious uh, back then has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing 
glory. So it was very cool back then, but he says this new covenant is just so much better. It's like, it's like, the, like the sun that comes out and you no longer see the moon. It just kind of outshines uh, the whole thing. And then verse 11, and if what was fading away came with glory, remember, remember Moses' face was fading away. Paul says it's symbolic. He says it, it was, it was, the first covenant was never designed to be long-lasting. God knew we wouldn't be able to keep that covenant. We didn't know it. It was for us to learn about ourselves. And so uh, if that was fading away came with glory, how much uh, greater is the glory that lasts? And so this new covenant, this new relationship that, you, that we've entered into with Jesus, it's never going to end, is it? It's just going to get better and better. When Jesus comes, it will restore all things. This new covenant will go through all eternity. Like when you, when you enter into covenant with God through Jesus, the new covenant, it's an eternal covenant. It, it will never pass away. The terms will never run out. You'll never come like expiration date. Oh, you know, we're a million years into eternity. Time's up. Uh, you no longer have forgiveness. It's like you, it, it will last forever. And so uh, he says in verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, this amazing hope of the future, uh, Paul says we are very bold. As apostles of Jesus said, we're very bold about this message. We're not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while their radiance was fading away. So Moses was the minister of the old covenant. He would put the veil over his face, which would protect them, right? They, they wouldn't be scared, but it would prevent them from seeing the glory. Paul says, we're not like that. We're going to let it all out. We're going to let it shine. We're going to be very bold about this message of Jesus and how it transforms everything. And we're just going to let the whole world see that. And he says in verse uh, 14, but their minds, and he's talking about the, the Jewish people back at the time of Israel, back Moses, their minds were made dull. In other words, because of this veil, uh, that they couldn't really see clearly. For to this very day, he's talking about his own day now, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. So let's stop here for a second. Uh, what, what he's saying is if you've ever studied the life of Paul, if you've ever studied the movement of, of the early church, what you know is that when Paul would go into a new area to share the gospel, he would always go to one place first. Where, it, it, where, where was that place? Anyone know? Not the 7-Eleven, no. Uh, yeah. So I heard it, I heard it, synagogue, right? His first stop, if the town had a synagogue, if first stop was synagogue. Why? Because he was bringing the message that the time of the new covenant has come. The Messiah has come, it's time for the new covenant. And so he would take it to the covenant people of Israel because they had the first right of refusal. They had the first opportunity to hear this good news. But if you study the book of Acts, you know that by and large, most Jewish people didn't buy in right? Most people didn't buy into that covenant. And, and so uh, Paul says that, that uh, he, says it's, he says, you know, it's as if a spiritual veil is over their eyes. In the same way that Moses, when the first covenant came, there was this literal veil over their face that they couldn't see the glory. He says that today, uh, there's like a, this, like this, uh, like a spiritual veil. And next week, we'll talk more about why that is. But but there's a spiritual veil, so they can't see the glory. He says, so what happens is that you know, when Paul would go into his city, like a Jewish synagogue, here's what he would do. He would pull out the Bible. Of course, they only had the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. He would pull out the Old Covenant. He would take them back to Isaiah. Look at the prophecies about Messiah. He would take them back to, to, to the Psalms of David. Look at prophecies about Messiah. He would say, Jesus fulfills those prophecies. Therefore, he is Messiah. Therefore, through his death and resurrection, we've entered into new covenant territory. You could have, and so Paul would spell it out, but by and large, people weren't buying in. Okay, and so he says, there's like this veil that, that's happening. So in verse 15, he says, uh, uh, He's, well, let's keep going. Verse 14, but their mind was made dull for this very day. The same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's, it's, it is, uh, it, it's not been removed because only in Christ, only in Messiah. Remember, Christ means Messiah. We often forget that. Only in Messiah is it taken away. It says, even to this day when Moses is read, like every week at synagogue, even to this day when Moses, and, and by the way, uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but but have you ever had this happen? Like you're trying to share Christ with someone and it's just like going over their head? Well, it's like, 
Like, you came to Jesus, it's so clear to you, it's like someone's taken the veil away, and you're like, I am so excited, I cannot wait to share this with everyone, because I'm sure they've never heard this before. Because they're going to be blown away that you can have a relationship with God, that we receive total forgiveness, and, and you can receive this personal knowledge of God, and you can be transformed by power, and the Spirit comes out, and, and this is amazing message, and I just can't wait to share it with my friends. And then you share it, and they look with you like, Huh? Right, because there's this veil that, that's there. And so for someone to come to Christ, there's a supernatural thing that has to happen. We're gonna talk about this next week, where the veil is taken away. But, but he says, anyway, even this day, when Moses is read, verse 15, a veil covers their heart, but when anyone turns to the Lord, uh, that veil is taken away. And so the Lord is the Spirit. Of course, the Lord is the Spirit of the New Covenant, right? It says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In other words, the veil is God, and we see clearly. And, and we, as Christ followers, with unveiled faces, okay? So he's going he's to make an analogy now between Moses and us. So Moses, he didn't have the veil, did he? Moses had the veil off, would go in and see the glory of God, and he would absorb the glory, and he would be changed to be like the glory, and he would come out, and he would reflect the glory, and, and here's what Paul says is that when a person comes to Jesus and enters into covenant, the same thing happens. We, we get to, to have the veil taken away. We see Jesus for who he is. We absorb the glory. We're changed by the glory. And now we go out and we reflect the glory. And so he says in verse 18, we who with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his likeness. Just like Moses was being transformed into his likeness, we're being transformed and catches with ever-increasing glory more and more wattage, uh, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so when we enter into covenant, the Holy Spirit begins to energize us, if you will, transform us to become like Jesus. And that's what we're gonna be focusing on today. And so in this passage, uh, Paul is building on kind of new covenant teaching from last week. The old covenant leads to death. The new covenant leads to life. In fact, it releases the power of God in our life so that we are continually transformed to be more like Jesus. This power of transformation, the power to change. Now, in the time that we have today, I want to do a couple things. Number one, I, I want to highlight two incredibly important principles of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and can I tell you this, that today, I'm hoping for many of you, today will be a paradigm-busting day. That, that what, some of the things we're gonna be talking about today are some of the very most important things for you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and I can almost guarantee you that for many of us here, that what I'm gonna say is gonna challenge some of the things you believed before. Uh, not that what you believed before was so much wrong as if they were inadequate. All right, and so today is, I'm really praying that today is a paradigm-busting day, that, that if you can grab hold of what, what we're talking about today, it will change your whole view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it has the potential to revolutionize your life forever. And so we're going to talk about two principles that flow out of this, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, what it means to follow, and, and then we're going to come back and do just a couple questions to help you do some evaluation for your own life. So here we go. There in your note sheet is a section that's called the New Covenant, the Power of Transformation. And so let's jump in. Number one, the first principle that flows out of this New Covenant teaching is that the goal, and, and catch this, the goal for you following Jesus, the goal of following Jesus, the goal of becoming a Christian, the goal of giving your life to Christ, the goal is transformation. Now, this is very different than what many of us has come to believe, that 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 what I want you to catch is that, that if I were to ask you today, why are you a follower of Jesus, or why did you give your life to Jesus, I think that most of us would say a couple things. Most of us, there would be many of us who'd say, the reason I gave my life to Christ, the reason I followed him, was because I wanted the gift of forgiveness, right? So we would say that that I, I came to a point, I, I realized that I had rebelled against God. I realized there was this sentence of judgment over my life. I, I realized that if Jesus were to come back or I were to die, I wasn't ready to meet God. I, I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I needed a get out of jail free card. And so I gave my life, I asked him to come in and forgive my sins because I wanted to be made right with God and, and live with him forever, right? Okay, now, let me, that is not wrong. That is right. That's part of the covenant, isn't it? 
Okay? That, that's not a wrong answer. It's a right answer as far as it goes. There's other of us here who say, well, that's not really it. It's like the, the reason that I really gave my life to Christ was because I, there was an emptiness in my life. And, and, and my life was empty, and I tried this, and I tried that, and it was just deep. And I wanted to know God. I, I wanted to experience his life. I wanted to be changed. I wanted to be like him. I, I wanted to, to have uh, kind of what Jesus promised. Uh, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. I wanted fulfillment. And so I wanted a relationship with God that would fill that vacuum in my life, okay? And so the reason you came was because of knowledge, knowledge of God, firsthand experience. And yet nothing wrong with that because that's the new covenant reality, isn't it? But here's what I want you to catch. To become a follower of Jesus, it's more than having your sins forgiven. And it's more than entering into a relationship with God and still staying screwed up, Okay? Like, at this point, we're still screwed up, aren't we? I've been forgiven for being a jerk. I have a new relationship with God, even though I'm still a jerk. But that's not the end of the story. The goal is transformation. The goal is transformation. The goal, catch this, is that you would be changed from the inside out so that you would become the person you are created to be, to love God passionately, to love others compassionately, that you would have the capacity to, get, be, to, to achieve what God has always wanted for your life to become the person you're created to be, right? That the, the, the covenant reality, loving God, loving people, that that would happen in your life supernaturally through the work of his spirit in your life. And so, so many times we, we think that following Jesus is about forgiveness and knowledge. It is, but it's about something more. The ultimate goal is transformation. Now, Jesus talked about this. One of my favorite statements of Jesus is often not a well-known one. But in Luke chapter 6, and I put it there on your note sheet, Jesus made this very profound statement. He said, a student is not above his teacher. You know, there's like a student that's not smarter, better, faster, more mature than his teacher. Uh, but everyone is fully trained will be what? Let's say it again. He'll be a what? like his teacher. Now, interesting, the word for student here is the normal Greek word. It's a Greek word named, called mathetes. The word for student is the normal word for disciple. So whenever you read in the New Testament about the disciples of Jesus did this, disciples of or in the early church, the disciples believed this. Okay, that's the word mathetes. And so this is the only place in all the New Testament, it's translated, instead of disciple, it's translated as student. And the reason was the concept of disciple, we've often kind of missed this, but to be a disciple was, was a term of like a, 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 a follower of like a rabbi, right? So when you would follow a rabbi in Jewish culture, you would become his disciple, his follower. Like you were the student, he was the teacher. And the goal was not just to impart some kind of cerebral knowledge or theology. The goal was to become like the rabbi, to live life like he did. That was the concept of, of Hebrew education, and so what Jesus is saying is he's throwing out kind of proverbial thing they all would have been familiar with. He says the student is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will become like his teacher. In other words, when you enter, become a follower of Jesus, you become a student of Jesus. You become an apprentice of Jesus. And the whole goal is that you would be fully trained, that you would be like Jesus, that your thoughts your actions, your attitudes, your reactions, your emotions, your priorities, your values, that as you follow Jesus, they would become more and more like Jesus, that you would do what Jesus would do in your shoes if he was in your life. Like this is the goal. The goal is a total transformation. Now, now once you see this, once you realize this, you begin then to see it throughout the New Testament. Like there are several passages, even on your note sheet that I put there, just some messages about transformation. But I want to give you just one example. There in your note sheet, I put one from Colossians chapter 3. And so Paul is writing to these new believers. He's talking to them. You've come to Christ. You've died with him. You've risen with him. And so now he's getting very practical. And he's going to say, so let's talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus. And he says in verse 9, he says, do not lie to each other. Why? Because lying is a violation of the law of love, right? Like, have you ever had anyone lie to you? What does it do to the relationship? It destroys it. So he says, you're followers of Jesus. So he says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self, who you were before you came to Jesus, with its practices, kind of the way that you used to do life, 
And he says, you put on your new self, your kind of your new person, catch this, which is what? Let's say it again. Which is what? Being renewed. Okay, underline that. Put on your new self, which is being renewed. Now, here's what I want you to catch. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you stepped into a renewal process. The, the moment you gave your life to God, you stepped into a transformation process. Once, you put, once your life went into the triangle, yes, you received forgiveness, yes, you entered a new relationship, but you stepped into a power transformation process where you are in the process of being renewed. Now, now you can either resist that process or you can cooperate with the process. We're going to talk about that more later. But the moment you gave your Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life and his job assignment is to change you to be like Jesus, to transform you. And that's what he's after in your life. Um, and, and so uh, and he says, look what he's going on. He says, which is being renewed, and here's the goal. Re- what, what's, the, what's the end of the renewal process? We're being renewed in knowledge in the image of its what? Creator. Creator. So catch what he's, he's using Genesis chapter one language. You were created in the image, of, we were created as a race in the image of God. In other words, we were created to be like him, to love God and to love people. That's what, when we rebelled against him as a race, that's what went wrong. We no longer love God and love people, we love ourselves, okay? And so when you come to Jesus, what's happening? You step into a renewal process where the whole goal is to make you like your creator again. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? The goal, that what it means is you're in a in, in a renewal process where you're becoming like Jesus because only when you're like Jesus can you reflect the glory of God and, and give God the glory that he deserves, you see? And, and so, so what God is after in your life and my life is not just forgiveness and not just relationship, it is core transformation. That's, that's what he's up to. Now, uh, this is, of course, what Paul is saying there in chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's look at it again. And he says, uh, with, we all with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory. We're what? You see that? Three, oh, this is in your Bible. You got to look in your Bible. <laughs> like, like, oh, you got lazy, right? 318. Uh, 2 Corinthians 318. I didn't hear many pages. Are you, are you going? You're already there? All right. Okay. I don't want you to miss this. We all with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory. We're what? We're being transformed, what? Into his likeness, okay? And so this is the goal of new covenant. The new goal of the new covenant is we're transformed into his likeness. Now, notice uh, number, uh, th- th- this becomes then God's priority for your life and mine. That's what he's up to. Now, at least in number two. Okay, number two is that transformation is a process, <laughs> like, oh, good, that's a relief. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a process. Uh, in other words, it, it's a process that starts when you first come to Jesus. The moment you step into the triangle of covenant, uh, the moment you step in, uh, you are changed. Like, like the moment you became, like some of you became a Christian when you were four years old, right? Like, like how many of you became a Christian when you were four years old? There's got to be some people here. We got, yeah, we got some four-year-olds. Yeah, I, I was a four-year-old person. Now, when you're four years old, you don't experience huge transformation because not a lot of major crimes you've committed at this point, right? But, but for those of you who are old, it's funny, though, when you see young kids, often I'll see seven, eight-year-olds, when they become to Christ, it, there's a change. You can see it right away. But, but, but for those of you who came to Christ when you were older, you, you remember this, how the moment you gave your life to, to Christ, there was a change, wasn't there? Like, let me give you three examples, things that change right away. There's more, but let me give you three examples. The first thing that happens, there's a new love for God in your life, isn't there? Like, before you weren't really interested, now you want to go to church, you want to study the Bible, you want to pray, there, there's a hunger for God. Uh, second thing, there's a new love for people, right? There's a new sensitivity, compassion for others that, that begins to emerge in your life right away. Another thing, there, there's a new moral compass in your life, isn't there? Like right away, there's a new sense of right and wrong. Like, like certain things you used to think were, were right now seem, seem wrong. Well, I, I remember what is that? My previous church, this one man, he, he came to Christ and it was like he, he'd been a follower of, of Jesus. He's he a brand new Christian. And, and one day, it's just out of the blue, uh, he, you know, he'd been a longtime collector of Playboys. And he had a huge kind of, uh, a style, uh, kind of collection back in his, uh, his, his, his office, back in his closet. And, and so uh, 
Uh, very proud of that collection. Never thought he's done. He's been a Christian. Right away, uh, all of a sudden, it comes to mind. Th- those things. It's just like the Holy Spirit is kind of raising it. Like that needs to, to go. And so, the moment you you come to Jesus, uh, these changes begin to happen. The, the very moment you come. But this is an ongoing process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's an ongoing. Pro- That's why in Colossians three it says we are being renewed. Catch that. Remember Colossians three. We're being renewed, it's present tense. It's ongoing action. That's why in 2 Corinthians 3, the one in your Bible that you didn't look at last time, uh, that's why it says that we're being transformed. You underline that we're being transformed. And catch it, it's ongoing. It's not just ongoing, it's a spirit-led process. Do you notice it's being transformed? It's a, uh, uh, that's in the Greek, it's a passive tense. It doesn't say we're transforming ourselves, does it? It says we're being transformed. And so this, this new covenant is a relation where the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to change us and transform us. He begins to give us new desires, new power, new, new priorities. It's, it's, it's a supernatural process. But catch this, just because it's supernatural doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. Like, we have to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, uh, the one you did look at, uh, that's why he said you need to put off the old person and put on the new person. There's a part for us to play. So let's talk for just a couple minutes, just very practically, how transformation works and what is the part that you have to play if you want to be transformed to be like your creator, to be the person you're created to be. There's two things you need to do, and I just want you to write them down real quickly. First of all, it's very simple. You need to listen. You need to learn to listen. There's not a fill in the blank. Some of you are like, I'm so confused. Like, where do I write this? I'm going to the back page. That doesn't look right. Uh, No, no, we're still on the front. We're still in the middle. Okay? Just find a blank space. It's very short. It's really weird to put, like, two blanks with one word. So, like, listen. Okay? All right, so we're going to write that on. So, so the first thing that you have to do to be transformed is you have to learn to listen. Now, listen to whom? You have to learn to listen to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So catch this, when, the Holy, when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life, and, and his job assignment is to transform you. In fact, in John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus said after he left, I'm sending you another counselor, another mentor, another teacher. And he said his name is the Spirit of Truth. And he's going to lead you into all truth. That's his job. He's going to bring back to you what I I said. He's going to apply it to your life. He's going to lead you into truth. And so you need to listen to him. And so so here's what happens. When you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to speak into your life. Not maybe words. It may be impressions or whatever, however he speaks. But but he begins to bring to to light. And he's going to, just like that man I was talking about, that, that that actually happened. It was about six months after he became a Christian. No one had talked to him about Playboy Collection. No one knew he had Playboy Collection. Uh, uh, and, and so he had just never even thought about this. And, and one day the Holy Spirit just brings this to mind. It's like that needs to go, right? And, and so this is what happens. The Holy Spirit comes in our life and he begins to convict. He begins to reveal. He begins to speak. It could be a big thing or a little thing, right? Like he may come and he, and he begins to speak to you about the tone with which you speak to your wife, for example. Okay, so, so it might be that, that you've, you've, your wife has always complained that you're harsh. Your wife has always complained you have an anger problem. You've always said, I don't have an anger problem. You are my problem, right? <laughs> so the, like I didn't have an anger problem until I, met, until I married you. I used to have, so, so obviously the problem is not me, the problem is you. And, and so the problem is you're overly sensitive, right? And so this is how their marriage has gone. And now that man comes to Christ and, and, and there's one day he's just kind of laid into her or made a sarcastic comment or cut her down in public or whatever. And all of a sudden like something zings him in, inside and the Holy Spirit just kind of zings him like, whoa, that, that's, not, that's not right, right? And so, 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 you know, th- this happens in a million ways, doesn't it? 
the Holy Spirit is very gentle with us in the sense that, uh, he, that he doesn't try to attack all areas of our life at once. We're thoroughly messed up, but he doesn't try to fix us all at once. He, he comes, he just begins to surface an area. He, he may get him to speak to you and just kind of call you that, hey, I need to be spending more time with, with God in, in my, my life. He, he may come and talk to you about a pornography issue. He may come and talk to you about a money issue. It could be an attitude. It could be a priority. It could be the way you're disciplining your, your kids, that you're letting them get away with murder, and that's not for their, their, their best. And So it could be on anything, but the Holy Spirit begins to surface in your awareness an issue, right? And so, so the question then is what happens? Do we listen or not? And can I tell you this, that often we don't listen. Often what happens is we, go, we get defensive. Often we go into denial. Often we pretend it's not really there. It's not really that big an issue. Uh, and so often when the Holy Spirit's speaking, we do this. We stick our fingers in our ear because we don't want to change. We don't want to change. And it's not going to be easy to change. And we don't want to face it. And we don't want to admit because of our pride that we have been wrong. And I don't want to go back and apologize to my wife because that would be embarrassing after 15 years of telling her it's her. It's not really me. Like, um, that, like I don't want to do that. And, and so, and so what, what happens? We, we go like this. So the first thing, if transformation is going to happen, men and women, we have to be people that are hungry for the voice of God in our life. We, we have to be people that are hanging on the words of God. There, there's a verse that says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we need to not grieve him. We need to say, Holy Spirit, you're the leader of my transformation process. If there's anything in my life that needs to change, it's out of line, would you please show me? I know you'll only show me things because you love me. You'll only show me things that are destroying me or hurting others or keeping me from loving you. Or love. And so will you speak in my life? And if you speak, I will listen. And so the first thing we have to do is listen. The second thing we have to do then is follow. It's not enough to listen, we have to follow. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, uh, as you say, okay, I get that, God, I think you're speaking to me, I think you're showing me this, would you show me what I need to do next, right? Would you show me that? Then there will often be a step that he requires you to take right? There'll be a step to take. Like he may put in your heart, yes, you are spending money in a poor way. You need to cut up your credit cards, okay? That's the step. He'll say, yes, you are being harsh with your wife. You need to go and ask her to forgive you and kind of admit that you're wrong. That the, Yes, that you have to get rid of that uh, a show that cable TV uh, show that you watch that needs to be get out of your life. It's it's just it's it's just kind of it's it's decaying your soul, right? You, yes, you need to spend spend time uh, getting into ministry. Yes, you've been so self centered. You need to stake it. And you need to start serving. And here's what you need to do. Are you with me? There, there's there's a step that he will once you are listening and you say, God, will you show me what to do? Trust me, he will show you what to do. He will give you a step, and you need to follow that step. And so here's how Paul puts it there on your note sheet. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, he says, since we live by the Spirit. In other words, we've entered into the triangle of covenant, and we have been caught, received new life by the Spirit. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Which is like a military term. It's a marching term, right? That you, you know what it is? Like you guys, some of you guys have been in the military, or you're in the band, or something like that. You... You keep in step. So you, you, know, you walk, as the Spirit walks, you stay in step with Him. You don't lag behind. You don't move ahead. You stay in step. And so, so here, men and women, this is it. This is as simple as it gets to be transformed. You have to listen and you have to follow. It's as simple as that, right? And so catch this. What I would say then, if we are not being transformed, if you're not experiencing transformation in your life, I can almost guarantee it. You're either not listening or you're not following. Because the Holy Spirit never takes a day off. Right? Like he doesn't go on sabbaticals. He's not like, you know, hey, they've grown so much for the last five years. I'm just, I'm, I'm out of here for a couple years. Right? No, no. He is always on the job. He, he's gentle. He's patient. 
He'll never ask more than you can do, but he will always, he's on the job. So if you're not changing, I can almost guarantee you're not listening or you're not following. Something's wrong. And if you say, well, I'm not hearing him say anything, chances are you stopped listening a long time ago. And that your ears have become hard. Right? And there, there needs to be an act of repentance where you submit yourself and come back. So, okay, so, so, here's the, so let's move on then. So the, I want to ask you a couple practical questions in that flow out of this. Number one, now you can turn, you can turn the page. Yes, by the way. Yeah, uh, we're back to blanks. We're back to blanks. Okay, sa- safety net's back intact. Here we go. Uh, the, the path of transformation, two questions. Okay, so very practical. Number one, what's your goal? What's your goal? Now, I want to press you here. I want to press you. I want to crack some paradigms. I want to break down some paradigms right now. And I, I just hope today is a life-changing day for you. If I were to ask you, what's your goal? In other words, why are you following Jesus? We saw what God's goal is. His, God, his goal is to forgive you, to draw you to a deep relationship, and to transform you. We saw that. The question is, what is your ultimate goal? You know, would you say, well, hey, my goal of following Jesus is to be forgiven so I go to heaven, but that's pretty much it, inadequate. You say, well, I just really want to have a deep relationship with God and it would be fulfillment of my life, inadequate. Both good, but inadequate until we move to the third. That the goal is life transformation, that you would be changed to be like Jesus. That's God's vision for your life, right? This is what he wants to do. That, that God is not just one to kind of make you a little moral person, Right, a little more, give you a little morality, and then you give you the little house with a picket fence and a nice, easy life. Uh, that's not his vision for your life. His life is for you to be a world changer, right? His life for you is to be a warrior. Like his 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 vision for you is to be like his son, passionate about him, passionate about people. That's what Jesus' vision. When you came to Jesus, you may not have read the small print, but it's time to read it, right? And once you get this, it'll start making sense of of your life. Because here's what happens. When we don't get this, what happens is when we go through hard times. Anyone ever gone through a hard time? Okay, good. Remember our previous series, The Power and the Pain? When you go through a hard time, if you don't understand what God's up to in your life, it's going to throw you a curve. Because you're going to start wondering, wait, did I do something wrong? Am I not forgiving? Is there sin in my Is that why I'm going through a hard time? Maybe I'm screwing up in some way. Or, or you're going to be like, God, why am I going through a hard time? I thought you loved me. I thought that I was yours. I thought we were so close. I thought you'd protect me. I thought you wouldn't let me go through hard times like this. I thought, I thought that you were my father and I was your son and you would always do what's right for me and, and just make me happy. I thought that would be happy, right? And so now I'm, I've lost my job. I've lost my house. I've lost my wife. I've, I've, I feel like Job. Oh, yeah, he was one of your guys. Okay, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's like forget Job. I don't want to be like Job. So, uh, so what's going on here? I'm very confused. I'm going through hard times. It's like, oh, don't you love me anymore? I'm not sure you're even there. The reason we ask those kind of questions is we don't understand what it means to be a follower. That he's about transformation. And what did we learn in our last series? It's in the hard times he does his best work. It's in the hard times he draws us into relationship. It's in the hard times he opens our eyes. It's in the hard times he brings us to points of surrender. It's in the hard times he shows us we can't follow him on our own, that we have to depend on him. His power is released and he uses us in the life of others and we're transformed, you see? And once we get that, this is what it's all about. It's like life's no longer a mystery. It's not a mystery, okay? We're not just about the picket fence, we're about being radically changed, and so if God takes us through hard times, we get like, okay, I, I guess like Joseph, I'm going to have to go through some hard times if I'm going to rule someday, right? It changes our whole paradigm, and so, so why are you following Jesus? You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Problem of Pain, and in that book, he talks about this. He talks about so many times we think of God, we, we think that he wants to make us happy. And when we say happy, we mean superficially happy. We mean money in the bank, good job, kids are doing fine, couple cars at work, uh, you know, retirement fund, 401. We got, that, that's what we think that God's after, right? He says, no, no, God's after something more. He's after changing you to be, to be, to be perfect, to be like him, to be like you're created to be. And so he says on your note sheet, what we would hear and now call our happiness is not the end God chiefly has in view. Notice it's not his top priority. But when we are such as he can love without impediment, in other words, we've been changed to be like him, we shall in fact be happy. Because I tell you something, you will never be truly happy until you're transformed. 
to be the person you're created to be. That's where our joy comes from. Our joy comes from being that person who passionately is pursuing God and loving others, and that is our place of fulfillment because that's what we're designed for, okay? Now, the, the, second, the second question I have is, are you listening and following? And so we talked about this, that if we're going to experience transformation, we have to not just listen, we have to follow. We have to take that step. We have to get rid of that pornography. We have to apologize to our wife. We have to start spending time with God. We, we have to uh, stop spending money. I mean, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, that's what we need to do. And so we have to take a step. But here comes the hard part, because this is where following Jesus is difficult. It is simple, but it's difficult. Because for you to, to, to rise with Christ and experience resurrection life, guess what? You have to die first, right? Just like Jesus went through death and resurrection, for you to rise with Christ to your new life, you have to die with him to the old life. And so that death is painful, isn't it? And so, so it's, it's painful. If, you, if you've been a man who's been harsh with your wife for 15 years, it is hard to walk in and say, can we have a, a cup of coffee? There's something I need to say to you. You know, for the last 15 years, you've been telling me that I'm harsh, and I've been saying, no, that you're insensitive. And God has been showing me that it, it's true. You were right all along. And I want to apologize. And I, and I know I won't be able to change overnight, but I'm asking God to change me. And I'm asking you to be patient. And would you, would you help me? I, I, I know it's not going to get it perfect overnight, but I, I just want to start by saying I, I'm so wrong and I'm so sorry. Now, let me ask you, guys, how easy does that sound to you? <laughs> that sounds horrible. That sounds ego crushing. That sounds like humbling ourselves, right? Right? Uh, so, so, some of you. <laughs> some of you wives, you've been overspending. I'm going to say, even it out here. Even it out. There's, there's only one way to avoid that fan mail, and that's to even it out. Some of you wives, you've been overspending. And your husband says you spend too much money. And your response has been, well, you need to make more money. You don't make enough to support us. And so what am I supposed to do? And the Holy Spirit begins speaking to you and just calling you out of how unappreciative or how indefensible that is. And the Holy Spirit, you need to go back to your husband. And you need to just apologize and ask for his forgiveness. And you need to say, well, you know, you're right. I'm cutting up the credit cards. I, I've got a problem. I've not been willing to admit. You've been right. I overspend. I can't control it. I'm, I'm going to go to cash basis. We're going to go to the envelope system or whatever. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to submit to your authority in that because you've been right. And woman, let me ask you, how easy would that be to have that conversation, right? So, so sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be in smaller things. It's going to be an attitude. It's going to be an apology. Sometimes it's going to be in bigger things. It's going to be a, a dream. It's going to be a hope. It's going to be a major habit. It's going to be uh, something that's your, an alternate God in your life, that's an idol in your life, that kind of defines who you are. You're into achievement. You're, you're into money. You're into your looks. You're into uh, kind of peer uh, approval, whatever. Whatever your God is, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, that's a God, and that needs to go. It's holding you back, and it's hard. You know, this week I, I got an email from uh, a young woman in our, converse, in our a congregation I've known for several years, and she is a Christian, but the last few years she's not been listening or following. And as a result, her life is instead of being transformed, because when she first started coming here, her life was being transformed like that. But, but she made a mistake. She, she began, stop listening, stop following. And so her life started going backwards, because you do understand this. You're either moving forward and becoming more like Jesus, or you're you're going backwards, the dimmer switch, right? You're either obeying and things are getting brighter, you're disobeying, it's getting dimmer. You don't want to stand still. And life was getting very dim for her. Her situation was that she was a, a young woman, a single woman, and, and, there was a, and so there was no Christian guys that she was interested in, and so she gave in the temptation to start dating a non-Christian guy. And it just took her away from Jesus and began to shut her down. And, uh, and she, she gave me permission to share this. But I want you to listen to this language. I want you to hear the language of transformation. 
I want you to hear the language of 2 Corinthians 3, though she didn't know the sermon was coming. And, and she says, 2011 was such a transformational year for me. I want to thank you for what you do at Rocky Peak because it really does change lives. All the series in 2011 have been incredible, and there are definitely some that have been so powerful that after hearing them, I've come to a fork in a road and I've had to make a choice. One of those messages was, was called Temptation, the Path to Death on March 27th of 2011. Uh, it was a message we talked about how, uh, how temptation is always a lie. The temptation always promises happiness, but, and it, it often provides it in the short term, but the end, re, end the result is death. And, and she said, so you, you gave that message and uh, she said, I was a Christian, she put that in quotes, I was a Christian who needed to end her relationship with a non-believer. And to date, it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. And I want you to catch this. Following Jesus is not easy. It will require deep death at time. But it's death that leads to life, right? And, and so she says it was the hardest thing she'd ever done. She said, but the Holy Spirit would not let me sleep. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, been there? I cried that whole week, and three days later, on Wednesday, 3.30.11, I finally decided I needed to trust God more than I trust myself, and I ended the most important relationship I ever had. Obviously, the next six months were absolute hell. Now, don't miss that part of the story. When you're going to go into the grave with Jesus, like him, it's going to be painful. But through prayer, counseling, sports, work, more prayer, God has just completely changed my life. There's, there comes the resurrection. It's changed my life for the better in every area of my life. I have an amazing job that I love. It's everything I wanted and more, and I'm so grateful for it. Somehow, I'm assuming supernaturally, I was able to finish paying off my student loans and buy a house for which I've been saving ever since I graduated college. At the same time, my giving has increased significantly and has become more regular than it's ever been. My heart has grown so much in generosity in 2011. I just want to continue to give back whatever the Lord blesses me with. Serving has become a priority. I feel such joy serving with children's ministry every other weekend. I've never been more focused on the Lord. I keep remembering the dimmer switch principle you talk about so often, and I'm so grateful that I finally obeyed when God literally told me to end my relationship with this man, and he was able to pull the veil from my eyes. 2 Corinthians 3, when he pulls the veil, we see Jesus and we're transformed. He was able to pull the veil from my eyes just a bit more to see him more clearly and to know him more deeper. And as she goes on, she shares how recently, the most recent thing, is she's met a new friend who she shared her relationship with Christ, and that friend started coming to Rocky Peak and just recently has given his life to Christ. Now, can I tell you something? We talk about unleashing a movement of passionate Christ followers. Now, what's a Christ follower? Pursuing God, top priority. She's doing that, isn't she? Loving people. You hear that in her thing, right? It's changing. Serving sacrificially. Do you hear her joy in serving, her joy in generosity, sharing Christ? You hear it all, don't you? You see, she is being transformed to be like Jesus. And, and she didn't have to do anything but say yes. And here's the thing. Your transformation doesn't depend on your willpower. It depends on your willingness. If you are willing to be changed, to listen and to take the steps, he said, he will transform you. And so what this means is, bottom line, if you're not being changed, you're either not listening or you're not following. And what a, what a tragedy when Jesus has died to take us into new covenant reality, to release his power. You could be everything you're created to be. Man, I just so want for this church to be a church of transformation, don't you? Like, I mean, just with everything, with, I, I want this to be a place where the Holy Spirit is just flowing in power because we're surrendering, we're being transformed, people are coming to Christ, we're, we're being changed, his name is being honored, but it all starts as we listen and as we follow. Let's pray. Father, as we come now and worship, we pray that you'd meet us as we pour out our heart, as we ask you to come. I pray that 
that, that if we're in a place right now that we need to listen, we need to follow, that there would just be a, a new moment of surrender in our life and that you would begin this radical transformation movement. We thank you for this vision you have for our lives. It's more than picket fence and life being cool, that, that there's, there's a vision of transformation changing us into to warriors, changing us into life, uh, uh, world changers, changing us into forces that reflect your glory in this world. And, and we pray that you would give us the faith to trust you to do that. And God, as we bring our offerings now, we pray you'd use this to build a place where life transformation happens. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? As we wrap up our service here, just want to remind you that we always have an opportunity for prayer. If you'd like prayer, there's a place at the back, by far left. It's a prayer corner back there. Head on back. Get some prayer. Hope you can be next week with us next week as we continue this journey, as we talk about more about this new covenant, this supernatural work of God in our life. It started it and then kind of continues it all the way through and how it redefines who we are and who uh, God is in our life and restores our relationship with him, that we love God, love one another. It's a great passage next week as we continue on in chapter four. If you want to look ahead, uh, check out chapter four, one through six this week. That's the passage we're diving into next week, okay? God bless you guys. Love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>